Content marketing is far and away the hottest trend in digital marketing right now, and for a lot of good reason. The basis of content marketing is that you are wanting to inform and educate your consumer base in kind of fun and interesting and nonchalant ways that at the same time that you're informing and educating them, you're also saying, hey, by the way, you'd like us so much, you should try our product or service. So it becomes a way of being like a, a sales lead line without being directly salesy. And there are a lot of different ways to do content marketing. There's a lot of different ways that companies successfully use content marketing, some of which we'll, just, we'll discuss. But more importantly, this is something that's applicable to you and in your career path. There's nothing saying that you can't take the lessons learned from business and industry about content marketing and apply them to yourself and your career path. If you've been in your career path for any time at all, even if you're still training and learning about your career path, or even if you are in college and beginning taking classes, you know way more about your career path than you might think or give yourself credit for. And because of that, you can start doing content marketing right away and educating potential future employers, future consultants, future clients about your perspective and point of view on your industry. And that's what we're going to talk about. So stick around. Before we get started into the heart of this podcast, I just want to take a quick second to gently remind you that this is brought to you by me, Michael Mack. If you want to see a full catalog of my past podcasts on Anchor FM or to read my digital marketing blog, you can go to michaelmackdigitalmarketing.com or you can visit anchor.fm slash Mack. Also, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at GetMeMichaelMack, where we will uh, continue to discuss trends in technology, artificial intelligence, automation, career development, and the future of work and digital marketing. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate your support. If you have any feedback about the show or what you'd like to hear more about or what's working for you, you can contact me at GetMeMichaelMack at gmail.com or message me on Twitter at GetMeMichaelMack. Thanks again. The idea of content marketing isn't necessarily new, but it is important. So I want to give you just a little bit of background about how content marketing is different from traditional advertising and marketing. And I'll give you for some perspective as to what we recognize as typical advertising marketing and how content marketing kind of puts a different spin on that information in a way that is more consumer-centric. So traditional advertising, the idea was that it's all about you. It's all about your product, your brand, why you're the best, and you would give uh, competitive sales points, you know, run faster, jump higher, fewer calories, uh, tastes great, um, we'll clean your rug, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. And you could run ads often enough to permeate a saturation in the minds of consumers 
So they're at the point of purchase that they would say, ah, I do need some Coca-Cola or Pepsi-Cola or I probably should pick up some Mr. Clean or whatever it was. Uh, or if I go buy a new car, I know that I want to buy a Toyota, Nissan, Ford, uh, Honda, Chevrolet, whatever it was. And this worked very, very well for over 100 years. Traditional advertising, particularly in the form of newspaper, and then later in radio and television ads, uh, it still works to a certain degree today, particularly for major corporations that have huge ad spends like um, Anheuser-Busch, Coca-Cola, Toyota, Nissan, um, anything that you can imagine watching pharmaceutical companies uh, spend a lot of money on advertising uh, private label drugs. So those guys have tremendous ad spend to get their name and product recognition out in front of consumers on a regular and a steady diet. Now, I'm guessing if you're listening to this podcast that you don't have that kind of ad spend to devote untold dollars toward trying to uh, get the attention of uh, consumers or potential clients or potential employers to give you that kind of uh, top of mind awareness. It doesn't really work that way. Typically, you want to have top of mind awareness in a select category. You want to have top of mind awareness with a select few people with whom you wish to have influence over as a consultant, as an employee, as a uh, volunteer even. So you don't need to have a wide spectrum appeal necessarily to a lot of people. You probably have more of a niche appeal. And this is where content marketing comes in really, really well. So consumers today and especially generational consumers, by which I mean millennials more than anybody, are really, really ardently, I wouldn't say unfazed by traditional advertising, but they have kind of a caustic reaction to it. They don't take to it the way that older consumers uh, kind of accept traditional advertising as being a rational and an acceptable uh, means of communication. They really dodge ads at all at all costs. Now, you could say, that's not true. What are you talking about? That's not true. Well, it is true in this regard that we have DVRs now for a reason, that we could fast-forward through all the ads in a TV show. We now have streaming services like Netflix and Hulu that we can pay for content without having to watch ads. Or, you know, we, we have a, a low threshold tolerance for ads in a way that seems to be coming less and less. And so smart companies, products, services, consultants, etc., are realizing this. They're realizing that, hey, the, the way that we used to reach consumers isn't going to work anymore. You can't just ram as people's down throats and just expect them to uh, take action like a dog whistle. We have to be a little bit smarter, a little bit more finessed in the way that we represent ourselves, the way that we represent what we, our value proposition and how we can communicate our value and worth to our consumer base in a way that is interesting and relatable and um, hopefully has some kind of uh, great import on how they want to conduct their business moving forward. Now, having said that, 
um, a lot of content marketing is really about educating a consumer. Now, you don't have to have a master's degree in education to be able to educate someone on something that you know about. Um, you can really be kind of a novice or even an amateur at something and still be able to educate. Now, one of the most valuable podcasts uh, brands in the world is How Stuff Works. I don't remember who bought it recently. Some major corporation recently bought How Stuff Works. And they have something like 14 million downloads a month. It's some ridiculous number. Which goes to show that there's a great thirst for information. People really want to know basic nuts and bolts stuff about something that they are interested in. They want to know more about it or they want to know uh, behind the scenes or they want to know how to do it better or they want to get more information about something that's of interest of them that they think may be able to help them. So a lot of times content marketing is very consumer-centric. It's very much instead of saying, let's say that your product or service is... Um, we'll say socks. I like socks. So you have a new brand of socks that are coming out. And the traditional way of advertising said socks would be to place ads in key markets. And again, this is, I know you're going to try to, you know, give me some shade on not believing in SEO and e-commerce and that kind of stuff. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that the traditional model before the age of, you know, advanced high-speed uh, internet prevalence was to place ads in the newspaper or to place ads in a telephone book or to place ads on the radio or television. And he would say, and it'd say that you are even just a local sock company. You make socks for your region, say within 100 miles of where your location is, or 200 miles. The same premise would be true, that you would still try to educate and inform people about your socks and be like, our socks are the best. We have the finest cotton and we stitch them really well and they come in three colors or whatever the case may be. And you should be so happy and grateful. This is so great. You love it. You love it so much. We know you do. La la la. And through this kind of repetition of facts, this repetition of telling the consumers the same story over and over again, you would permeate their consciousness at some level when somebody says, kind of like, you know, they wake up one morning with a hole in their sock and they say, oh my gosh, I need new, need new socks. They would immediately, hopefully, think of, I should go to your sock company and buy these socks. Or I should go to the department store that carries your socks and buy, and buy you know, these socks. This works still, again, with the Walmarts of the world, the Costcos, the uh, Amazons of the world, etc., a lot of major retailers still rely on top of mind awareness when it comes to your ability to act at the time of, at the point of purchase. That when you say, I need a new pair of dress pants, I should go to blank store to get them. Now you can fill in the blank. And it, even without realizing it, you probably have a store in mind. You probably have some place in mind that says, if I need dress pants, I really should go to Macy's or JCPenney or Kohl's or Brooks Brothers, depending on where you get your dress pants at. It doesn't matter. 
uh, you have some place in mind that says if I had to get business attire, I should go to blank. Dress Barn, Joseph Bay Bank, uh, Sears, used to be a thing. Um, in any case, and this is the traditional model of digital marketing and digital advertising uh, in the pre-internet era and certainly in the pre-millennial era where it was a lot more simple to appeal to people's interests and to their wants in a pretty direct and fairly straightforward and formal way. There wasn't a whole lot of device to it. You could use some creative, you know, guise to get their attention. But again, even with something like Wendy's Where's the Beef campaign, which is very famous in the 80s, or even the Target ads, which are very flashy today and look very nice on television and, and are very bright and cheery, the result is still the same. It's basically still saying, hey, we're Target. You should shop here. Don't go to Walmart. Don't go to Costco. Come here to get your stuff. And uh, so a, a lot of this is still relevant in a lot of fields, but for your purposes, because you're an individual and you're not necessarily trying to sell a product or service, you're trying to sell yourself. You're trying to sell your capacity, your capabilities, your talents, your skills. Then some of the some of these still apply in a, a, a general way, but they wouldn't be as applicable as content marketing wherein you are going to use your advantages as a facilitator of information rather than a direct seller of information. So what that means is that in content marketing, you're going to be producing material that is informational and educational first. The first rule of content marketing is it should be educational or informational. Uh, The second rule of content marketing should be, and this is a a very close second, by the way, should be interesting or entertaining, okay? And the third rule of content marketing should be, uh, by the way, I'm the one who's doing it. Okay, so let's look at those three different components uh, carefully, very quickly. So the first rule of content marketing is it should be educational or informational, Meaning that you should be interested in seeing the end user's point of view. In design terms, we call this um, user experience. That if you are designing an interactive display or an interactive website or an interactive uh, tablet uh, app or something, You really want to keep the end user in mind and think about it's not as important what I think about this topic. It's as important as what the end user thinks about this. How are they going to view this content? How are they going to use this information? So a lot of times it can be very tough to actually get into the mind of a consumer and think about things from their perspective and think about What is important to them? What do they value? What is it that they want to most see uh, come about from this? But if you can, if you can put yourself in the position of somebody else who is looking for good information online and they find you, it's almost an incredibly invaluable resource to be considered 
the arbiter of information in this particular uh, field. If you could be seen in the eyes of the end user as somebody who's trusted and valued for information in this one key category, then you will have earned more than their business. You will have earned their trust. And that is much, much, much infinitely more important than their business. Business, you know, can come and go. And you can get people to use your product or service over a short period of time or a long period of time. You can beat people on price. You can beat people on service, etc. But it's not the same thing as them trusting you. And oftentimes, particularly in the information age, which we live, trust is the highest form of commodity that there is in brand development. Because people, particularly when looking for information, people really don't want to waste time. If they they don't spend any time at all deciding whether or not you are trustworthy or relevant or whether or not you're somebody that they can relate to and listen to and gain knowledge from. And, you know, if you lose them early, it's really tough to get them back. So you want to make sure that the content you're putting out there is relevant to your niche and that is something that would tell them something they don't already know. You don't want to dumb it down to the point that you're talking down to anybody, and you certainly don't want to talk over the heads of people who may be interested in what it is that you have to say or what you know about without putting them off and saying, geez, I don't know anything about what he's talking about or she's talking about, and now I feel like a dummy, right? The... the, anti-content marketing is making somebody feel dumb. So you want them to walk away saying, hmm, I actually learned something I didn't know, and this is going to improve my life in some way, and now I feel, you know, better about what I'm doing. Now, in non-secular terms, you could say that this is kind of what, and for a lot of people, uh, going to church does the same thing on a kind of a social psycho level. So when you go to church on Sunday and you obviously go to that church because it fulfills something that you need in your life, you're getting content. You're getting content from your pastor, from your rabbi, from your reverend, from your spiritual leader, whoever it is. They're going to give you content that's going to improve your life. They're going to teach you something that you didn't know or reaffirm something that you needed to remember was important or give you some new insight or twist on a truth about life and about God. And you walk away from that experience. You say, hmm, that was a really good experience. I really feel better now than I did when I came in. I feel like I'm better prepared to face life's challenges and I feel closer connection to God or what have you. And that's content marketing. That's how that works. So, you want to make sure that whatever your, your content marketing is about, whatever it is that you are broadcasting your knowledge of, that you are wanting to become a an authority, if not the authority. You could at least become an authority on this particular niche category. Now, it could be something very important that is highly relevant to your field or highly relevant to... Um, a particular category of people that you want to reach. And let's say that you are a political scientist, for example, and you want to put content out there about how 
politics is shaping policy in a particular sect or uh, niche, military defense or environmental protection or crime victims or who knows what, then you would pick the niche in political science that you feel the most you know, confident and passionate about and you begin producing content for that. Now, let's say that it's something that is not as heavy or weighty as political science. Let's say that your niche category is crafting, that you are somebody who makes really terrific crafts using yarn and, you know, glue sticks and cut paper. And you make things that are just a hit on Etsy or on Pinterest with your people. Uh, there is a whole universe, if you've not actually uh, checked out videos on YouTube or Pinterest, uh, there's a whole universe of meaning of people who spend their lives uh, doing how-to videos, making things with basic materials. How to make a great table centerpiece using cut paper and corrugated board. Or how to make uh, Halloween decorations using natural materials and just all kinds of just neat stuff now i'm not particularly crafty myself but i can see the value in what these folks are doing because if you are somebody who is crafty and who likes making crafts for different holidays or special occasions and he found someone uh through a you know mainline channel like youtube or pinterest or instagram that's consistently making neat crafts but more importantly more than the fact that they're making neat crafts is that they can teach you how to make the same craft in two five seven nine fourteen easy steps then the real value of that is that they have been able to demonstrate their knowledge to you and you'll go to them as a resource you'll say the next time i need to make something for my holiday party I know where to go to. I will go to X because X has great content and they have great quality content, meaning that it's attractive, it's easy to follow, and it is something that I can take with me uh, wherever I am and use it as I need to. And that's really the benefit of online digital marketing with content marketing is that you can imagine that in the pre-internet age, if you wanted to do content marketing, somebody would have to write away and ask for you to send them a paper copy of the thing. And he'd say, uh, dear so-and-so, if you'd like to get a free brochure about our amazing lifestyle product, blah, 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 then write to us at P.O. Box, blah, 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 or call 1-800, blah, 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 to get your free copy of this CD, of this brochure, of this pamphlet, of our book, how to do content marketing, and you'd spend $19.95, and then you'd wait four to six weeks for shipping, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it was very, very taxing and expensive. So content marketing used to be very expensive because you had real materials at stake, real paper and real ink that you'd invested in this thing and that you know had better work out or else you're going to lose money. Well, the nice thing about content marketing in the digital age is that it's 100% free. There are multiple platforms with which you can promote your products, your ideas, 
your knowledge, your information, uh, your point of view with the entire world uh, of people with whom you want to have influence at zero cost or almost no cost. So, having said that, uh, make sure that your content is really, really informative. Make sure that it's really something that solves a problem for that, that person. You absolutely must, M-U-S-T, solve the problem that they're facing. Because oftentimes, um, it, you, you find this in your own life. When you Google something, you're typically Googling something or searching for something on Yahoo or whatever your premier search engine is that's hoping to solve a problem. How do I blank? Or where do I blank? Or when do I blank? You know, when do I take the turkey out of the oven? Um, how should I change the oil in my car? Or how often should I change the oil in my car? Or is my arm broken? <laughs> Whatever it is, you know, we do this stuff all the time. Uh, what's the primary ingredient in dog food? Whatever. So you want to be somebody that is putting out good content that is really reliable and is well-sourced and that you really know what you're doing. And I'd have to suggest that you want to spend a little bit of time in preparing your content. Really think it through. Really give yourself enough space to ensure that the content you're putting out there is really good, is really valuable. And that's for two reasons. One, because this is a reference of yourself. This is referencing you directly and you're putting your own name on the line and your own self as a brand so whatever you put out there you want to ensure that it does represent you fully and that it's something that when people see this thing and they see you they say wow that is really good stuff this person really knows what they're doing so the first reason to put a little extra time in your content marketing is for no other reason than it benefits you you are the thing that you're trying to sell your ideas and if you have misspelled words if it looks like you didn't spend any time putting this thing together if it doesn't look like that um, you are careful in your execution it doesn't matter how good the content is if it doesn't ring true for the consumer if they don't feel as though they can be confident in what you're saying and, and demonstrating it's not going to work so Give yourself the best shot. Now, that does not mean to say that it has to be expertly produced and that you have to make amazing content with a huge budget and you have to invest in tons of equipment or anything like that. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that it's kind of akin to making a movie. Have you ever been to the movies where you really were looking forward to seeing this movie come out and you've been waiting for weeks and then you finally see the movie, and it looks as though the studio must have spent 90% of the budget on special effects and about 10% on writing because the story is so bad. I mean, it's just so bad. And you think, I thought to myself, if you spent a fraction on the special effects you used to make everything explode in this movie and spent that on writers and on a storyline or on dialogue... This would actually be pretty good. Well, it's content marketing again. Once again, the content of the film really isn't the special effects most of the time. It's not the, the actors 
that they employ and spend millions of dollars to attract to the box office. It really is the content. It's the writing, it's the story, it's the dialogue, it's the tension, it's the suspense, it's the humor. And if you don't put in the time on that stuff, on the, the really meaty stuff, then you're going to find that it's going to fall flat. So first rule, content marketing has to be something that is interesting and informative and educational for your consumer base. So make sure that whatever you're producing is something that they really want to know more about, that they really are looking for, and that you are going to be somebody that they can go to to get that information in a way that is appealing and well-produced. Now, I'm going to take a short break, and we'll come back with the second rule, which is it must be entertaining and interesting. So stick around. Okay, welcome back. So let's talk about the second rule of content marketing, which is it must be entertaining or it must be something that will keep the interest of your reader or your viewer or your listener. You can't spend too long getting to the point or burying the lead. If you're not in journalism or in sales, you may not be familiar with the term burying the lead. But basically what that means is that you are have a really great idea for something. You have something that really has great worth and value and that through fault of your own, you have spent so much time getting to the point that now by the time you get to the point you're trying to make, that it's way too deep into the story. It's way, way deep, deep. You have to keep scrolling down and down and down in the blog to finally get to whatever it is you're trying to say or in the article or in the YouTube video or in the podcast even. So don't bury the lead. Make sure that whatever it is that you're talking about or that you're going to talk about is something that you make plain and known to the listener or viewer or reader pretty quickly. Uh, Again, people want to make sure that they are seeing what they're looking for and that you're going to hit the points that they need to, to know about in a timely manner and not waste a bunch of time on fluff. Nobody has time for that. So, as best as you can, without giving away the entire story in the first paragraph, you wanted to kind of allude to what you're going to cover. Now, there's a number of ways of doing this. For example, if you are writing a blog entry about um, how to... uh, do something or how you improved your life through, let's say you how to improve your life through meditation. Let's say you've tried a different type of meditation. It's really worked for you. And you want to write a blog about this type of meditation and the lessons you've learned from incorporating it in your life. That's a good thing. Okay, sure. So this will be based on your personal experience. You're going to be somebody who would like to uh, be seen as a, future authority or source on this type of meditation, then you want to make sure that up front that they know that this blog is about this type of meditation. And if you want to know more about this type of meditation, you have come to the right place. You can make that abundantly clear, whether it's in a 
YouTube video or a podcast or a blog entry, uh, you can let them know right up front. And typically the best way to do that is in your title. The title of your content is probably the most telling piece of information that you have to work with because that's what's going to really attract the eyeballs of that person. You have to think that in the information age that people have a tremendous uh, variety of sources, a tremendous variety of information at their fingertips all the time. And so they're going to vote with their eyeballs as to what they want to select on. They're going to vote with their eyes and say, "Mm -hmm, this looks like the type of article about this particular type of meditation that I'm looking for. Or I could see from this title that this person is approaching this problem the same way that I'm approaching it. Or they see it from the same point of view. Or they are going to uh, inform me about something about this that I really need to know in a way that I think makes sense to me. So, again, as we talked about in the last segment, make sure that you're giving yourself enough time in the preparation of your material. That you're carefully considering the headline that you're going to use for this material because... That may be the key decision. It's the first piece of information that somebody's going to see about your blog, about your podcast, about your YouTube video. And you want to make sure that when they see it, that it resonates with them right away. And they say, aha. Now, you can be creative and you can be punny and you can be, um, you know, kind of even sarcastic with it or cute. And that can work if that's part of your... Uh, brand strategy and that's part of your appeal and your niche category gets it then by all means um, go forth and do but if you're talking about something that's a little bit more (coughs) serious or weighted or something that requires a little bit of explanation you may want to stay away from that kind of motif because again in your attempt to be funny or cute it may actually be misleading and not connect with your the base that you're trying to reach. And that's the last thing you want to do, obviously. You don't want to confuse or to alienate or to um, say, Ugh, I don't know what that guy's talking about. I'm moving on, right? And they're going to go to the next blog article. They're going to go to the next video. So first things first, think about your headline. Think about what that says. And think about the tone that that sets. Think about the tone of what that is going to say that will be representative of the content to come. Again, you don't want to be cute in the headline and then be really serious in the content of the the piece or vice versa because that could be misleading and off-putting to the consumer. It's all about them. In content marketing, remember, it's all about the end user. It's not about you. So, secondly, think about how you want to Um, convey this information in a way that is entertaining or informative or useful. And the best way that I've found to do this is to search other content in the same niche. It's very unlikely, no matter how obscure what you're trying to cover is, that you're the first person to talk about or to discuss or to disseminate information on this topic. The chances are at this point, with something like 10 billion people on the planet, somebody somewhere is talking about whatever it is you want to talk about already. 
and there is an audience for it. So what I would do would be the first thing I would do would be to Google um, whatever it is that you want to uh, do your content marketing on. Do a Google search for it. Go on YouTube and search for videos on this particular niche category and see who's out there. See what they're doing. And as you're watching videos, as you're reading blogs, as you're listening to podcasts, take notes. Uh, jot things down as you're listening or watching and saying, wow, I really like that this person did this, and I think that's really good. And I think what that's really working. Or, conversely, uh, that's terrible, and I don't like the way they're doing that at all, and I really think that I could do that better. Write that stuff down, because this is your opportunity to do research into the field with which we, you want to make a mark. And the best way to get there is to see who's out there and doing the thing already and doing it well or doing it poorly and then assessing them critically from your own point of view. Because this will also give you your own point of view. If you don't have a point of view and you say, well, I'm interested in this topic, but I really don't know what I want to say yet, uh, then watching these other producers can give you some great insights because you can really say, wow, I really see now that my style would be very much like this lady's style and not as much like that guy's style or vice versa. Or you could say, I really like the way that this group has presented this material about this topic and they did a really good job and they used infographics or these charts or they used um, a combination of multimedia or they did a blog and then at the bottom they showed a video which also explain the same thing visually. Uh, there's a, just a, a multitude of ways to get there. But again, it has to be something that is at least mildly entertaining, no matter how uh, banal the, the topic is. Because you have to keep their attention. You have to make sure that what you're putting out there is something that they can really hang their hat on and be like, yeah, I totally get this. I could do this. That's the end result of rule two is that if rule one was it must be informative and you must be able to demonstrate the knowledge. Rule two really is, yeah, I can do this. So that's the end takeaway of rule two for content marketing is the, the end result should be them saying, yeah, whatever yeah is. Yeah, I like this. Yeah, I want to learn more. Yeah, I could, I could surf, right? Whatever the case may be. So... Uh, make sure that your content is relevant to them. Make sure that it's timely. Make sure that it's uh, as precise as possible. The only bad writing uh, out there is really vague writing. And the only bad instructions out there, the bad education, is really vague instructions and really vague education. So try to be as specific as possible. Now, I'm going to repeat this again because it's so important. You don't want to dumb down your material to the point that you're talking down to people and making them sound like that you think they're dumb or talking over their heads to the point that you make them feel like that they are out of their league and this is just not possible for them. So you want to try to strike a balance between those two points and say, hey, I'm going to make this accessible to you as an expert in this particular matter. I know a lot more than I'm letting on, but at the same time, I'm not going to use a bunch of jargon and a bunch of terms and, and things that would you know, just be off-putting to you or make you feel like that you have to have some kind of a PhD in this thing in order to get the 
basic mechanics of it. And that may take some practice. So the second rule of uh, concept marketing is, in, is that it has to be uh, interesting and it has to be uh, entertaining if that's applicable. And sometimes, and this is really tricky, like you really, really want to take this next bit with a right grain of salt. Depending on the content and depending on the tone and depending on the audience, you may, and I say may with great emphasis, want to run it by somebody that knows you well for a second opinion. Now, this could be really tough because the person that you're running this by probably knows you well enough to be very critical with you and very honest and to the point that it may really be discouraging. For example, <laughs> my wife is a tremendous resource for me uh, when kind of fleshing out ideas for things or if I have ideas that I want to communicate with my listenership or uh, what I want to write about or if I have a book idea I want to pursue uh, she's tremendous and I rely on her heavily to say you know what that's a really good idea I really think that you should pursue that that sounds really smart or conversely she may say that's that's not a good idea in fact don't do that ever and so she's my sounding board. She's the person that I go to that I that I ask for opinion on certain things to say, I'm thinking about this. What do you think about that? Now, I'm smart enough and having been married long enough to know when to ask her opinion on things and when not to. I don't ask her opinion on everything because there's certain things that I don't really want to get shot down. There's certain ideas that I have about uh, broadcasting my ideas regarding mass communication and branding that I don't want her to say that that doesn't sound right or I don't know why you why you tell them that what's content marketing I don't know what that means okay she probably wouldn't go for this podcast because that's just not her cup of tea but the point is if I ran this by her and she said no I think it's a bad idea I wouldn't do it I, I really am cognizant enough of my emotional attachment to her that if she didn't like an idea it would really affect my decision to go forth with that concept or not I have no qualms at admitting that my wife has emotional power over me it's true so having said that if and if and I say if you want to run your personal material by somebody who knows you well make sure that it's somebody who can appreciate and assess the material accurately and who you know that if they don't like it or they give you negative criticism, that it won't completely discourage you from wanting to pursue the project altogether. Right? I'm not, you don't want to get in front of somebody, they say, Oh my gosh, that was such a bad idea. What were you thinking? You'll be the laughing stock of us all. Um, they're all going to point and laugh at you. I mean, nobody wants that kind of condemnation, right? So, take that for what it's worth. Sometimes a second opinion can be really valuable. And in that second opinion, sometimes you may want your second opinion to come from somebody who doesn't know you that well, right? It may not be your spouse, but it may be a colleague or somebody else in your field or somebody that you know professionally or as an acquaintance 
or sometimes the best is even if you've read your content by somebody who doesn't know the first thing about what you're talking about, but they're a friend. And you say, as a friend, would you watch this or would you read this for me? And tell me, what, what do you think? As somebody who doesn't know the first thing about fixing a lawnmower, I don't know the first thing about that. I want you to read this or watch this or I want you to, I'm writing a blog about literature and writing, creative writing, um, and you're not a creative writer. So I want to ask you to read this or watch this or listen to this and tell me what you think. If they come away from that and they say, you know what? I didn't know the first thing about creative writing and literature, but having watched or read or listened to this, I really feel like I know something now. That's a good sign. That's probably a good sign that you're doing something right and that you're moving in the right direction and that um, you're connecting with an audience that may be interested in your material, even if they don't have the first idea about what you're talking about when you reach them. That happens. Now, if your friend comes back and they say, Oof, I really didn't know what you're talking about there, and that was really out of my league, then you could take that for what it's worth and say, well, this is a person who doesn't know about writing to begin with, and so therefore this information really would be accessible to them, and that their opinion is, I value their friendship and taking the time to read it, but obviously their opinion of this matter isn't very worthwhile. Or you have to more honestly say to yourself, if, if applicable, uh, man, I got to go back to the drawing board. I thought I made this really plain. I thought I made this very entertaining. It really did not connect with my friend. And therefore, I might need to um, revisit this information and try again. And that may save you a lot of time and effort in getting that early draft out because there is a cadence or a rhythm to content marketing in that with content marketing, you don't just produce something once. You don't just say, Whew, I'm glad that's over. I wrote the blog post and now I can just roll on with my life and wait for the, the money to come in. It doesn't work that way. You really want to make sure that you have your line on something that has legs, which is to say that you want to make sure that the content marketing that you're producing is something that you can write about or speak about or think about or talk about or discuss or interview people regarding over a, an extended period. Because, remember at the beginning of this podcast, we talked about how traditional advertising was all about hitting people over the head over and over and over again with the same advertising message. Buy our stuff. Use our things. Buy our stuff. Use our things. Use our product. Use our service. Well, that top of mind awareness really does work. If you send somebody the same message over and over and over and over again, eventually when it does come time to make a purchase, that like resonant knowledge will be applicable. Think about when you're going to buy a cell phone and you say, I need to get a new cell phone or I need to get a new cell provider. I wonder who I should go with. Well, it's not like you haven't seen ads on TV uh, all your life regarding seemingly uh, whether you should use Verizon or AT&T or T-Mobile. I can just name them off Sprint because I see the same ads too over and over again. They really want your business. They all do. And they all try to be really cute about it. So 
what you want to make sure is that you, your content marketing is in a cadence, it's in a rhythm, it's in a timely manner that you're producing new content on the regular. Now, on the regular is really up to you. Your um, frequency of publishing can be daily, it could be weekly, it could be once a month, it could be once a quarter. And that's dependent upon how frequently people need to be reminded of your message or your point of view. How frequently do people need to know what's changing in your field? Now, if you're doing something about, uh, let's say you're doing a blog about complex global, global economics, um, you could maybe produce a blog once every couple months because that's something that's going to take a lot of research and a lot of time to compile the data and to make sure that your information is good and that you have a lot of data points to support your theory or thesis on economic development and blah, 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 blah. Uh, that's something that could really take, and you wouldn't mind. You don't want to get a daily um, you know, content on complex global economics because it doesn't move that fast. Those things take a long time to matriculate. And so it may be something that you produce once a quarter because uh, it really is something that takes uh, a great deal of analysis and th synthesizing of the data in order to put, it, put together your final piece. But once you get it together, somebody says, wow, that was really worth waiting two months for. That was really good. I could really use this. Versus if it's something that's kind of fleeting or something that is more, um, you know, timely or something that needs to be refreshed often, you may need to up your cadence of your content marketing to be uh, once a month, once every three weeks, once every two weeks, or once every week, or once every couple of days. And remember that that's completely dependent upon you. That's on your schedule amount of time that you have to allot to this project, as well as how often you feel that this information needs to be refreshed, uh, given the cadence and the speed and the uh, changes and the inference of your public. Now, the general rule is that if you're doing something that's like a we'll call it a blog or a video or a podcast once every two weeks is probably about as good as you could hope for uh, no less than once a month in content marketing so if you're only doing one blog or one video or one podcast a month it had better be really good because you're asking people to save them their their headspace for you for four weeks from now to be like don't forget four weeks from now I'll be writing something again and unless you're like Stephen King or somebody that has like a devout following that will wait because they just love you four weeks is a long time a lot happens in four weeks particularly in, in media so that may be too long you, you may not you know that may be a good frequency for your schedule if you have kids or if you have a career, or if you have other, you know, priorities that take your interest. But if you are wanting to become somebody that's more of an authority on this thing, or somebody who is seen as having knowledge and power in this field, 
you may want to consider something more like once a week or once every couple of weeks. That's not a bad, that's not a bad, uh, you know, frequency to operate on. If you're operating once every couple of weeks, that means that every 14 days you have something new that you're sending out by email blast or on your blog or on your YouTube channel or however you disseminate your information. And that's just enough that probably it's given people enough time to digest what you've produced last time and at the same time give them uh, some anticipation for what's coming next so you have hit that balance between okay last time I gave you this you have time to reflect on that to digest it to say aha I get it and now I'm going to take you down the road further with this next piece and they say oh I'm so glad I'm waiting for this new thing to come out this is really helpful so Remember, the second rule of concept marketing is it has to be informative and entertaining or somehow engaging in a way that makes people want to keep coming back to you as a trusted source. Now, the last rule of concept marketing is the least important in a way, but it's still extremely important in the hierarchy in that you want to make sure and leave no doubt that you are the one who's producing this stuff, that you are the one who is putting in the time and the energy and the emphasis in this project, and that you are the one who has delivered the goods. Now, you're not asking for any thanks or praise necessarily, but you are asking for some recognition of, you know, basic brand loyalty. So don't forget, no matter what you do, in the course of your broadcast, in the course of your YouTube channel, in the course of your blog, that you say, this is me. This is who I am. You can do a little bio about yourself if you want. Uh, be sure, for the love of God, be sure to include your contact information. Whatever the best way to contact you is, please include that. Because the, the last thing in the world you want is for somebody to really be interested in what you're saying or really captivated with your content. And say, I'd like to do more with this person. I'd like to contract with them. I'd like to read their work. I'd like to hire them to do the job. And then they can't find any way to contact you. It's That is the worst thing you can do. So make sure that your contact information is very easy to find. And it's very obvious the best way to contact you. Do not put your mailing address on there if you don't want people to mail you stuff. Don't say follow me on Twitter if you're not on Twitter. Don't say, you know, here's my phone number if you're going to go straight to voicemail. Don't do it. You have to make sure that whatever form of, of um, call to action you're giving them is where you actually are, not where you think that they think you should be or something. That's not going to work. So make sure that your call to action is something that matches how you operate most frequently and most comfortably. Don't say, you know, follow me on Instagram and then show pieces, pictures of you eating pizza all the time. That's a non-starter. It has to be a good fit. So make sure that your contact information fits the bill. All right. Well, we've covered a lot of ground here, and I've given you a lot to think about. And I hope that you found this interesting and useful. And as always, um, I'll give you my contact information. If you want to follow me on Twitter... 
at GetMeMichaelMack or on Instagram at GetMeMichaelMack. You can email me at GetMeMichaelMack at gmail.com. And if you absolutely have to call me, uh, because you just can't wait, it's the, it's the only way you can reach me. You can call or text me at 304-881-9051. That's probably my least favorite form of communication because it requires uh, secretist communication, meaning that I have to pick up the phone it's going to say, whoever you are, I'm like, I don't know this guy. And then I have to answer the phone and hope that you're not some kind of like, you know, telemarketer or something. Uh, so follow me on Twitter. That's probably the best way to find me and to keep track with what I'm doing in this area and to keep up with the podcast. Please subscribe if you haven't subscribed already to the Keep It Simple Career Marketing Tips podcast. I really value and appreciate your listening and taking the time to hear me out and my ideas. And I hope to hear from you and I will keep you in mind uh, for my next wait for it weekly podcast because i always publish once a week come rain or come shine you can count on me to be here with more content for you to think about what you could do to further your career all right thanks for listening have a good week